So let me ask you, do you have any cheer left after our Broncos uh, defeated Carolina in the Super Bowl? Huh? So let me test you on that. You know, we have an amazing thing here with our campuses. And so we're going to ask all of our campuses and here at Lone Tree, we're going to just cheer for each campus as we welcome them. So let's start with Lakewood. We welcome Lakewood. Let's hear it. Evan's right with you. We welcome Holland's Ranch. Hopefully at Holland's Ranch we got a cheer. We welcome Castle Rock. And to all of you here at Lone Tree, let's give a big hand. And we have a great group that come on digitally or online. Let's welcome them as well, okay? Thank you, guys. Well, so we're in this series called Burning Love. It's about great, passionate relationships. And last week, as Marcus opened, he did a good medley of love songs, and he referred to himself as a hunk of burning love. I agree. He's a hunk of burning love. So if that's the case today, I'm the chunk of burning love. So our verse for this series is in Matthew. Let's begin there at chapter 22, uh, verse 37, 38. We begin with that. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, last week, as you know, all of our campuses, uh, the pastors at each campus taught And what I heard is they did a fantastic job from all of the people that were a part of hearing that message. And they spoke about loving the Lord. And uh, for each of our guys, Bob and Evan and Marcus and DJ, uh, well done. Good job, guys. Uh, If you haven't heard that message, uh, perhaps you were uh, getting ready for the Super Bowl or praying and fasting uh, that day. Come back and uh, download that or take a look at that online. You'll get a lot out of it. But I want to talk today about verse 39. It says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I want great relationship. I want passionate, great, burning relationship with others. But most of the time, that burn creates ashes or embers or pain. And so it might be in a marriage that you face that, or even with friends, your work, even in church sometimes, we struggle with relationship. So the idea today in this message is to look at those struggles and help see ways to change that. Now, uh, we had a great event last night for uh, everyone over 50. It's called Life Plus. We had a chocolate festival. Uh, I have a little bit of a chocolate coma going on. Found out that if you eat 22 pounds of chocolate in one sitting, you could die. (laughs) We tried. (laughs) But we're here. But out of that... Uh, as the introduction for the Life Plus for those over 50, the party that we had, I found Valentine cards that fit the idea of a struggling relationship. So I want to share those with you today. I've fallen for you and I can't get up. (laughs) Now the Life Plus got that. They really enjoyed that a little more than you all. This one's deep. You'll do. some trouble in that relationship it gets worse you bring darkness and financial burden to my life (laughs) somebody just back there raised their hand I'm not going to point them out I love you more than coffee but not always before coffee (laughs) if you knew how much I loved you you would be terrified This is a good one. You're my Valentine. 
You open it up and the card says, sorry. <laughs> and this is the last one. You're hotter than Brad Pitt and George Clooney put together. You open the card and it says, by the way, have you seen my glasses? <laughs> so those cards express a lot of fractured relationship and frustration with relationship. And the idea is that, and many of you have experienced this in a new relationship, it just seems hot, it's passionate, it's wonderful, it's warm, and then eventually it just dies out. Things begin to happen, things begin to go wrong. And, and in the sense of burning love, the flames are doused. And all of a sudden you're sitting with a lot of pain and heartache and frustration in that relationship. Now, today, I know it's Valentine weekend. Uh, I want to tell you, this isn't going to be a real syrupy, soft, warm, fuzzy message. I hope to make you think about your life, all right? The goal of this message isn't to sit next to somebody and to poke them and say, and that's for you, all right? Or to stand up and point across and say, hey, you. The point of this message is that you're going to listen with the understanding of what can I learn and get out of this? What do I need to do in the areas of relationship that I am making more embers than flame? It's going to be honest. So we want to start with the first one. One of the ways to douse the flames of burning love is through power. Now, I'm going to cover three specific areas today, but I want to just go through them as quickly as I can to give you just basically a foundation. Now, this is my definition. I tried to put it in words that just made sense, but... There are two things that take place. There's authority and there's power. So I defined authority as this, the right to determine an outcome or directive. If you use the word author, all right, an author basically sets down and that person decides where to go with that story. Who are the characters? What is the plot line? They have the authorization to make those decisions. So the author has the right to determine an outcome or directive. Now, the best response to true authority gives us this place of love and respect. If you have in your life somebody that's an authority, maybe a father, maybe a parent, maybe a boss that's really a great, great person, and they come into your life with authority, but your response to that is to respect them and to love them because of the way that they treat you. But many of us have gone and experienced the idea of a power relationship. Power, my definition is this, a form or force to make one yield to their wishes. Can I get an amen? You weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> the response to power will come out of fear and many times despair. Picture any situation where power is activated where force and, and just some idea of you're going to do this creates within us this, this despair and hopelessness that comes from that. And the idea about power in a relationship is that I'm going to try to get somebody to do something I want them to do. Now, anybody here, and again, this is for everybody, whether you're single, married, child, parent, all right, boss, employee, no matter where you're at, this is true. Have you ever been in a relationship that power was in control. Was that a bad experience? Was it very frustrating? All right. If you're married, some of you probably should have raised your hands because your wife was poking you. They weren't supposed to do that. I know. Now, I was one of those guys that <clears throat> started off our relationship early on. I got married at 18. Dumb. Okay. 
dumb, didn't know anything, thought I'd know everything. And I came from this idea of old school. You know what I mean? Some of you folks my age will know what I mean. The, 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 the man is the king of the castle. You know what I mean? And, and he sets the rules and he rules with an iron, you know, scepter and all that kind of stuff. And he wears the crown and everybody else bows down. Okay? I wouldn't have never said that, but truthfully, my actions showed that. And I've told many of the story uh, when we first got married. <clears throat> We're heading down to our little uh, uh, hotel in Galveston, Texas for a uh, uh, little honeymoon on the beach. And uh, I had a friend uh, that uh, found a garbage uh, dumpster behind a restaurant and found all sorts of, of uh, really rotten meats and stuff. And he had a key to my car and he put it all in my clothes and my shoes. And it was, I remember taking it out before we left the little uh, place we had the reception and dumping, you know, green chicken out on the floor. And, and if it wasn't my honeymoon wedding night, I think I'd have probably killed him. But that's not a good way to start a honeymoon, as you well know. So uh, we get to the hotel, and uh, I've shared this before, and many of you gasp every time I share it, and I'm sorry I did it. I apologize. But I remember bringing the clothes in and asking Brenda to clean my shoes, and she said, well, they're your shoes. Why don't you clean them? And the famous dumbest statement of my whole life is, well, why do you think I married you? Yeah, every time, same response. It never changes, never gets better. I wish I could change the ending of that story, but it just doesn't happen. I thought differently about what my role and her role was in the marriage. Can I tell you, it wasn't a good start. And for years, that power thing in me created a lot of heartache in her and in our marriage. And it didn't go well. But let's be honest. Would you admit that there's a little bit of a rush in all of us? When we can be in a place where we can control and dominate and affect what goes on in people's lives? I mean, really, isn't that a good feeling that sometimes we can just make it happen because we take power and control, especially when it's for personal gain? The problem is, is that everyone that is around that power doesn't experience the same rush. There are negative effects of power in a relationship. All right, and this isn't just for us here today. Everybody wants to be in that place of power, <coughs> authority, prominence, position, even the disciples of Jesus. And even moms, okay, all the moms here, you'll get this, who want their sons to be elevated and sitting next to Jesus in heaven. Sounds like a great request. So, James and John's mom comes to Jesus and says, you know, man, these boys are really working hard with you, Jesus. They're really struggling with you here. Hey, how about they sit on your right and left hand? Is that a good deal? And Jesus actually tells them that they, she has no idea what she's asking unless that they're willing to suffer what he was suffering. But it led to this discussion with the disciples <coughs> about who is greater, who is more powerful, in Matthew, Jesus says this. He called them over and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. That's not where Jesus wanted their lives to go. And as, if you know the story and you follow that in the Bible, you know that they truly did become great servants of God. 
but they had to learn that the power isn't what Jesus wanted them to operate in. It was something different. Interesting, and let me just give you something funny. Power comes up in all sorts of situations, okay? I'll give you one that you can probably relate to if you're married, all right? Uh, before GPS, how many remember this thing called maps? <laughs> to everyone under 21, they had these papers. <laughs> they had these roads printed. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And when you went on a trip, you'd sit down and you would go through and say, okay, we're going to go this way, this way, and this way, and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes we men were smarter than the map makers. You know what I'm saying? So we head out on a destination, all right, and we get lost. Now, the first rule is never admit you're lost. And when the wife says, honey, it seems like we're out here in the desert. We don't know where we're going. No, I, I'm taking a shortcut. I know where I'm going. Okay, and the wife full well knows you're lying. And so finally you get to the point where you have to admit, you know, we're lost. All right? The idea of being lost comes back to this fear that I'm not smart enough and man enough to know where we're going. So I don't want to refer to a map, and I certainly don't want to refer to my wife. So follow this. This is interesting. This has happened. So you finally admit that you're lost. And you do it in the manly power way. <clears throat> and so you pull up to a store or a gas station. Now, how many of this has happened? The man never goes in. Because to go in to say to a gas station guy, another man, I'm too stupid, I couldn't find where we were going, would show that I have a loss of power. So they send the wife in, all right? And I don't want another man to see me as weak. So the wife, honey, you go ask him, okay? You, you go see where we need to go. Write it down for us. All right, that's a subtle little thing, but it's pretty true. I heard this story once, or a joke about, uh, and it was from a woman. She said, why did Moses wander in the desert for 40 years? And they said, because he wouldn't ask for directions. <laughs> of course, that's not true. <clears throat> so here's what happens with power. It uses money, anger, physical intimidation, even knowledge, and reward to get what they want. Power means I have to win. And in my own marriage, I had to wear her out. I had to work so hard to make her feel like she would just give up because it was easier. You all know what I'm talking about. Does that relate? It's a bad place to be. The power, there's this phrase that I've come across that's really pretty good. The power of least love. And that's talking about emotional love. The one who loves the least has the most power. <coughs> Does that make sense? you're in a relationship and that other person loves you more, you can manipulate that. The Apostle Paul describes the power struggle in his own life and it's a personal level and it's evident of what takes place in all of our lives. The most basic struggle is this and it's in Romans, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. He's talking about the mind of Christ, conscience, uh, the wisdom of God. This power makes me a slave to this sin that is still within me. Here's the bottom dollar. Power always makes a slave. Somebody is going to be the slave. So the reason that I used power in my life was that I wanted to get what I wanted, and that leads us to our next point. Number two, douse the flames of burning love with lust. Now you're sitting here thinking, where's he going with this? Okay. Well, lust is defined as a strong desire or craving. 
we often associate it with sex. But it is applicable for controlling, for experiences, for money, for anything. <coughs> and so it's a big struggle. Now, obviously, let's be honest, that is referred to mostly in a sexual environment. Uh, if you're single here, and I, I, man, we've got so many great singles at GFC. Uh, I just want to take a minute because it's such a big issue and a struggle in lives. Uh, we're going to be doing a special panel uh, in uh, March for all of our singles. So go to the website and find out the information of that. Uh, we're going to have a panel on uh, sexuality, and it's going to be hosted by a couple of our singles and the Dufours, if you know and remember who they are. It's going to be a great night. The core of lust is selfishness, okay? Uh, this is really good stuff. We've got an amazing group of uh, people on our teaching team. And so I pulled them and asking them just basically, hey, what are you see as big relationship killers? And the idea of selfishness came up over and over. Uh, and let me just refer to some of them. Pastor Dan said the first thing that came to mind uh, in, in a relationship killer is selfishness. He says, love is displayed in every action the Lord does for us. DJ said that selfishness was his answer. I just don't want to become the sin. I just don't want to because the sinful nature hasn't yet been overtaken by Christ's nature in me. I don't yet grasp God's plan and or don't trust that my needs will be met if I give up my control and the ability to make my own needs paramount. Marcus uh, said, one of the root issues of not being able to love others appropriately is because we primarily are looking for our own happiness from the relationship, and that's a fundamentally flawed position. Last, Evan wrote, love takes effort. So many relationships fall apart due to laziness. I agree with the comments on selfishness. I would add that selfishness combined with laziness produces below average relationships. If you want great relationship, work is required. How many know that to be true? Do you have a good relationship? Did it come easy? Did you just not have to really work at not being selfish? Peter points out <clears throat> some things that we want to look at. All right, in the Bible, uh, the word lust describes specific forms of idolatry. And Peter points out that lust is evident of a pagan lifestyle. It is selfish pursuit in 1 Peter 4, 3. For there has already been enough time spent <coughs> excuse me, in doing the will of the pagans, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desire, drunkenness, orgy, carousing, and lawless idolatry. All of those represent an idea of lust and self-centered selfishness. Let me give you this. Love seeks to give. Lust seeks to get. In any avenue, love's motive is to give and lust is to get. First John. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father but are from this world. So a lot of us here struggle with worldly desires as it relates to selfishness. Why was I selfish? Why are we selfish? It's because I think we're insecure. And that leads us to our next point. Number three, douse the flames of burning love by insecurity and fear. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but it could be the whole meat of this message. But I want to say this. This is the root of a lot of our issues here in relationships. You have to be honest with yourself and with God before you can change. So here it is. Let me speak it this way. Here it is in insecurity and fear. It's this idea of I'm not enough. I am not enough. So I have to get control. I have to get what I want 
to feel secure. And that is the root of those relationship killers. But the problem is, is that we don't live by the truth in our world. We live by the lies. So how do I change? Well, I want to give you a few things here and we'll wrap it up. Fanning the flames. How do you increase that love? Okay. If you're like me, you've tried. Man, for years, I hated my marriage being horrible. And I'd try and I'd promise to do better and I'd promise to love her. Epic fail every time. Little change. But I know this. When I walked with God, when I walked in his truth, when I walked in his provision for me, when I walked in his power, I experienced change. I want to say I couldn't do it in my ability. I needed God's help. In the Bible, there's a great story of Peter. He's on a stormy sea and Jesus, and they're rowing away in there with all their might trying to get across this uh, uh, lake. And so uh, Jesus appears in the midst of the storm and he bids Peter to step out of the boat. Okay, how would you respond to that? I, w- I would think, I would, well, okay. I've seen Jesus do some amazing things. All right, and I guarantee you, Peter's thought was, hmm, Jesus says step out of the boat, water, raging sea, uh, he is God. Uh, I've seen some pretty amazing things, but it's still water. You can imagine the dilemma. But here's what happens. <clears throat> he invited Peter to leave what Peter thought was a safe place. Peter had to take an action before he experienced God's miraculous. That's a key. That's a key. Peter had to step out of that boat before he saw what Jesus said he could do that was miraculous. It's an action that resulted with a change. See, our idea is that if if I feel love to somebody in whatever relationship that is, if I feel love, then I can change. We've got it backwards. It's just the opposite. Love is always going to be an action before an emotion. The scriptures tell us that while we were sinners, Christ came and he died. Before Peter walked on water, he had to get out of the boat. In my own marriage, I had to go from bad to good by action and not emotion. I had to go from good to great by action and not emotion. You make a mistake if you wait until you feel it before you can do something. So let me give you these action steps that I think are appropriate in what God wants for you. Number one is the power of love. 2 Corinthians talks about Jesus, and it said he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died, for them, and was raised again. His step of action was to love us. We were sinners. We were distant from the Father, from God. But his step of action was love. He did that by dying on a cross. The miracle was the resurrection that God provided of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated his love by giving up power. Uh, Read Philippians chapter 2. I'm just going to read a couple verses, but it's worth reading later on. In verse 5 and 7, it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. You see, Jesus would save the world, but not through power. And most of us would want a God that's going to come and just kick everybody and get everybody in line. But he didn't do that. His kingdom would not be built on force. He showed love by hanging on a cross. And he made it clear that his plan was that people would see and know his love and to respond to that sacrifice, not by a force of power. 
Number two, the strong desire to serve. When we are filled with God, we just can't help but serve. It is the nature of somebody who is filled with God's spirit. Matthew talks about the rulers of the Gentiles. They lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. But Jesus says, not with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So to the very same guys that was clamoring for a place next to him, Jesus says, no, that's not our way. We're going to come and we're going to serve others and have that be the desire to be more and more like Jesus every day. So for us to overcome our selfish lust and to overcome our will to power, both can change it can change in your marriage. It can change in your job. It can change in your family, all right, because of this. Jesus tells us, or Ephesians, excuse me, Paul says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you. There is an action there. There isn't an emotion, but an action. So by the Holy Spirit, we can change. So I want to finish with this. Number three, lifetime of grace. Secure people know God loves them, and they know they are his. In all of our campuses here at Lone Tree, online, there are not words that I have that can communicate an understanding of that. I know there are many people that do understand that, that truly can come and say, I am secure, I am so secure because I know God loves me. And even in church, a lot of people don't really realize what that love looks like. They don't know that they are his. They don't know that. Even though they have come to Christ, even though they've confessed their sin, even though they are walking in a relationship with God, there are still a lot of believers that are walking with that insecurity and that fear because they don't understand who they are and the grace that God extends to us. And so when you have that grace, when you know that place in God, there is something that comes out of you that is so grace-filled to others and how you see others. Believe it or not, your marriage can change dramatically if you have that kind of grace. <clears throat> so at 17 years in our marriage, it got to be really bad to the point we're out in the middle of our front yard yelling at each other. People were driving by, oh, there's our pastors from our church. <laughs> and she was just so, just worn out. I was just so frustrated. So we end up meeting a pastor that we worked with, and he began to talk to us, and God really began to speak to my heart as he was talking to us. And I haven't been able to put this into words for years, but God did a divine, supernatural work in my heart. It just changed me. Now, look, it, it wasn't a change in emotion. It was a change in action. It was a decision to love her. It came to this. I had made my decision that at that moment, at that place, whether she ever loved me the rest of my life, I was going to love her the way that Jesus said to love her. And I couldn't understand this for years because there was something that took place, and I finally figured it out, and I want to share that. That moment of where that action and that decision was made, I saw Brenda, my beautiful wife, the way that Jesus saw her. I saw her as a woman that was wounded and hurt 
and disappointed and yet wanted and had hope for a great marriage, had hope for a great relationship. And I saw her pain. I saw her sadness. And it made me weep that I was the cause in my power and selfishness of that feeling. I saw her with eyes of grace. And I was able to enter into that relationship with a power that God had given me in that decision of literally getting out of a boat of my stupid, stormy selfishness and begin to love her. And literally within weeks, God changed that totally around. And since then, we've had an amazing relationship. I could not tell you there isn't a more wonderful person that I could be married to. And I love her with all my heart. And I didn't say that because I did not get her a Valentine card. I did get her a Valentine card. (laughs) So you can leave today. You can walk away on this Valentine weekend. You can get the cards. You can get the chocolate. You can get the flowers. Or you can talk to a friend. Or you can go to work on Monday. Whatever the relationship you're dealing with. And you can just keep on trucking the way it is. But that is not why I'm here. That is not why God is here today. Because he wants to change our hearts and lives to have the kind of relationship. He wants to free you from that desire and that slavery of control. He wants you to be secure. And you can have all of those. But you start with taking a step. It starts with believing our Father in heaven and what he thinks about you when he sees you. He sees your heartache. He sees your brokenness. He sees your pain. And he weeps with you. And he aches with you. And you might be here and say, man, God gave me a bad road. God gave me a bad deal. How can I trust him? How can I know he loves me? And you're seeing it from the side of power and lust and insecurity and fear. Give God a chance in your heart to see things different. So when you quit trying to have your own way, when you realize you have enough in Jesus, with that peace, you no longer have to try and control. I'm going to pray in a minute. I was worshiping earlier today, just praying for this night, this message today. And I I was just worshiping an old song. Some of you may remember. It's the song... uh, his eyes on the sparrow, some of you may know it. And I began to hear the words, and I began to think, man, that's how God sees me. That's how God is my provision. And I, I found the lyrics, and in finding the lyrics, I found the story of it, and here's how it goes. There was a couple who loved Jesus with all their heart. Their name was Doolittle. She was bedridden for 20 years, couldn't get out of bed. Her husband was a cripple who literally, in the early 1900s, the only way he could get around was a rudimentary wheelchair. And in spite of all of the stuff, in spite of all of their afflictions, they were so filled with happiness and joy. And everyone that knew him said, you bring so much inspiration and comfort to us. And finally, the author of the song writes, why do you have such joy and hope? And the reply was this, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And I was listening to that song, and I was worshiping, and I was thinking, how amazing is that? That this little flippy bird out in nowhere is seen and cared for by God. How much more for me? A child of God does he care for? So let me read in our closing these verses, and then we'll pray. The author writes from meeting the Doolittles these lyrics. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, 
My constant friend is he, his eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches me. The second verse was, let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear. Resting on his goodness, I lose my doubt and fear. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. That is Jesus who loves us and who modeled a burning love. And today, I want you to have that. I want you to experience that in your marriage, in your friendships, in your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents, your children, your work. I want you to experience that. And I believe this is a message that I challenge you to think more about as you go. But I want to close in prayer. Would you bow your head? Father, you are an amazing, wonderful God, and we sell you short so often. And yet everything we read and know in our spirit from your Holy Spirit tells us that you love us and that in you we are enough, that in you you have a plan. And that, Lord, here at this church, the vision of our pastor John is that people would discover that they would recover those promises that God has for them. And we believe that. And I pray, Lord, for every husband who struggles with power and selfishness, who struggles with that fear and insecurity that drives him to force things to happen in his relationships. I pray for that husband today that he would repent before God and say, Lord, change me. I will take action steps according to this word I've heard today. For every wife who's manipulative and controlling, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show her the end of that isn't good. But there's freedom in love. There's freedom. Today, there's freedom in those relationships. Lord, make aware of boyfriends and girlfriends if they're in a relationship that won't change and it carries the weight of that power and control. It carries the weight of insecurity and fear and selfishness. I pray, open their eyes to challenge that. And if need be, Lord, if you speak to their heart to walk away in wisdom. For everyone here today, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, employers, employees, may we come to God and realize I don't have to be in control. I don't have to have fear. I don't have to do any of this because I have Jesus and he is all I need. He is all I need. And I pray that in your name. If you believe and want Jesus to be all in your life, would you say amen? Amen. Please stand.